0: I had no idea and arguably still have no idea how to run a nonprofit. I know a little bit more than I did yesterday. So if this farm kid from Idaho can, can start something that now is international, I'm telling you right now, anybody can.
1: Luke, welcome to the show. (laughs) Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Heck yeah. Uh, This is one I've been looking forward to for a long time because your story and what you do is so cool. It's so wild. It's such an interesting path. And like, I almost can't, it's almost too good to believe. I can't believe it's a real thing.
0: Wow. Thank you. Yeah. You know,
1: hey, I I still don't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. And let's get into it. So for the uninitiated, for those who don't know, who are you and what do you do? You bet. So yes, my,
0: my name is Luke Mickelson. I'm, I tell everybody, look, I'm just a small farm kid from, from Idaho. And, uh, and that's really, really sums it up. Uh, I, I grew up in a very small town and um, the 3000 people, uh, you know, and, and being in a small town and being even remotely athletic, you, you have to play all the sports. So I was a big sports guy in high school and, and did all the leadership, you know, uh, the the student body leadership things that nature um and you kind of get forced into it if if you if you have any any sort of ability that way but but i loved i loved small town life um you know i got to know everybody i knew every single person in my high school and and even after high school you know we we have uh i have very close friends because we were very close in high school being such a small town And, and working on a farm you know i think it it helped me um uh enjoy and, and have a desire to, to love to work with people, you know, and I think that's one of the big things I, I, I have and how a little bit how um, SHP started was, was the joy of just working with other people. And what I do now, which is a far cry from what I originally started out doing um, is, yeah, I, I founded Sleep and Emily Peace back in 2012. And our main objective And mission statement is no kid sleeps on the floor in our town. And we just want to make our town, everybody's town. And, and this is such a huge problem that no one knows about. I didn't know about, Um, but once, once it's been, uh, you know, unshoveled or unearthed and you see what the problem is and how bad the problem is, I just, you know, me and now thousands of others just couldn't help ourselves, but to
1: to jump in and, and get it fixed. All right. What exactly does sleep in heavenly peace do? So we're a 501c3
0: nonprofit, and our purpose is to build beds, twin-size beds that can be made into bunk beds uh, from raw wood and deliver them to children ages 3 to 17. And we do that uh, uh, completing our other mission, which is to bring communities together uh, to solve this community problem. And so we build bunk beds or beds from raw material, um, with community involvement, volunteers, some people that have never touched a tool in their life, they come together
1: and we build, we build beds and deliver it. Heck yeah. So you're the founder of this thing. So take us all the way back to the beginning. How did you even get the idea of helping someone like this, let alone starting a not-for-profit?
0: You know, it's, um, it's strange
1: as I look back, uh, you know, 2012 is a
0: long time ago um and in my own my own life i i had a job i was um working as an outside salesman and got promoted all the way to uh vice president of of sales and was actually going to be part of the purchase of the company i was working with when i stumbled across this um family in my community um that i had heard had kids sleeping on the floor now at the time i was pretty much what they call a youth pastor you know, in the South, the the, the position was called uh, uh, young men's president. I was basically in charge of the young men's program where we would, you know, we would, on Wednesday evenings, we'd figure out some activities to do. And, and and it was basically Boy Scouts, is what we did. Um, and when I heard about this problem, um, I, I told the executive leaders there, I said, Hey, you know what, I think me and the boys will take care of this, this bed thing. That's, you know, I want kids to be involved with helping other kids, I think it'd be a great thing. And I don't know if you've ever been around 12, 13 year old Boy Scouts to get them excited about anything other than screens nowadays.
1: It's,
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a feat, let's call it that. And so I, you know, I, I, I got them together and I said, you know, hey, what can we do? What do you want to do here? We've got, you know, looks like we got some kids on the floor and uh, they, had, they had some fun ideas. You know, it was actually pretty surprising how interactive they were about it. You know, well, let's go, let's go buy them a band. I think we can get some things donated. You know, and I don't know. I just felt like um there, there's more to it here. And this idea popped in my head. I said, you know, what a great opportunity to get an Xbox controller out of these boys' hands and let's put a drill and a sander and let's let's teach them how to build something. And and I just got done doing some some construction in my house. And I'm not, I'm not, I've never built furniture before in my life. I wouldn't call myself, you know, a a craftsman by any any means. Um, but I thought, you know we can figure something out and uh, they liked that idea so I went home that day and and uh, saw uh, my, my my daughter had a bunk bed she was sleeping on and so i just patterned it after that made a few changes to make it a little easier for these boys um and then about uh you know three or four nights that week the boys came over and we we cut drilled screwed sanded and and stained this bunk bed for this family and uh, I saw a couple of things that was interesting these they, they were excited about it you know these 12 year old to to 15 year old kids 16 year old kids were just excited about it and they had a good time i mean and keep in mind this is in this is in the first week of december in the middle of idaho you know it's not exactly warm outside and i'm in my garage which is not heated <laughs> so it wasn't the most ideal situation but they but they had a lot of fun and, um, the time came that we were going to deliver this bed now, I didn't get a chance to go on deliveries I, I did it in my garage, so I had to clean up my garage afterwards um But the boys and the parents and the other leaders went to this um house and delivered this bed and the next day, I just heard all the amazing stories you know the 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 family the parents the the boys just shared their experience and you know it was awesome. It was great to hear I was bummed I didn't get to see it you know and um you know, I went home that night and I remember I was in this life crisis, if you will. I don't know. I was 35 ish, something like that. Um, I have this little faith crisis going on, not knowing exactly who I am or what I should believe in. And, and, uh, you know, my good guy that, you know, I don't know. I just, you have these, these moments in life, especially when, when you kind of question your faith, um, that, I, I knew I was a good guy. I felt like I was a good guy. I'd like to volunteer. I was helping the kids out. I coached all my kids and and uh, other 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 kids and but I just had this hole in my stomach. and um when I built those beds for those kids with the help of the Boy Scouts, I don't know. it kind of felt like it filled it a little bit. and so I, I was sitting on the couch my my kids were pretty young. My oldest was at the time, 10 years old. And he was kind of complaining about the toys that, yeah, I'm not going to get you another Xbox. I'm not going to get you, you know, these toys. And especially coming off this experience where these kids not only didn't have toys, they didn't even have a bed to sleep in. I don't know. I just, I got up off the couch and I started heading to uh, the garage. And, uh, you know, I remember people going, my family was like, where where are you going? I said, you know what? I'm going out in the garage. I got leftover wood. I'm going to build another bunk bed and you're going to help me. And again, for the next couple of three nights, uh, I just had a great time with my kids. Um, we, built, we built another bunk bed, but not knowing what to do with it, because I didn't know this was a, was a thing. I just wanted to have the experience with my kids. And I probably figured I could find someone. I didn't know where to find it. So uh, my wife said, well, why don't you post it on Facebook? And I, my first thought was, OK, post a free th- item on Facebook. I'm going to get all sorts of people <laughs> banging down my door. And and although I did get some of that, what I got, which what, which was really shocking, was how many people, friends, people I didn't even know, um, strangers, said, "Hey, that's that's awesome. How can I help? What do you need?" And it just dawned on me, like uh, I was really surprised by that. That there were so many people out there that really wanted to help. And uh, you know, later on, I learned just how how big of a help that is. So. I, uh, I, I did finally find a family, It was I call it my Haley story, where um, Haley and her mom had been living in a car since she was born, six years old, never had a bed. And um, a friend of mine that was working with uh, Tinil Claridge had, had worked with some social services and got them a house, right? So they, they finally had a place to, to sleep at least room. And, and I said, great, that's, that's exactly what, what I wanted. I wanted a, another child that we could bring a bed to that didn't have one. But when I walked into this home, now I've seen homelessness before, but I really never have seen it or thought to see it through the eyes of a six-year-old. And so when I walked in this home, first of all, there was nothing in the house. The only thing in the house was a hot plate resting on a milk carton and it had a can of soup on it. That was it. No table, no chairs or TV or anything like that. So that was shocking. And, and the other shocking thing was this six-year-old girl, how excited she was to show me her room, because she actually finally had a room. You know, so we, we walked into this room. She had no idea why we were there. And you can imagine what it looked like, you know, holes in the carpet and on the walls and secondhand toys in the closet. And I don't think the closet had a door, if I recall. But what caught my eye was in the corner. And there was a nest of clothes there. And it was very apparent that's exactly what it was. She slept on those clothes. I was overcome with emotion. It was very emotional. And me and my buddy, Jordan Allen, we started bringing pieces of this bed in. And you could see at first, she was kind of puzzled by it. But then as we started putting these pieces together, as we do, she just erupted. She just started hugging us and, you know, hugging the bed, kissing the bed. And I'd never seen that before. You know, it was just amazing to see her reaction. And we got all done. We started bringing in the mattresses and the sheet sets. And and I remember the the mom going, oh, my gosh, you're bringing a mattress and sheets? And I said, well, of course, she's got to sleep tonight. And the mom just lost it. Sorry, it gets me every time. I was raised by a single mom, too. And so to know the struggle that that poor woman went through and thought about for six years and protection for her daughter and safety and all this... I could just see it in the tears that were pouring down her face um that and the experience that haley gave me um of delivering that bed to them just changed my my heart instantly filled it full and and i remember it was about a half hour drive home and me and my friend jordan were driving home we really didn't even say anything to each other it was just that respectful um that uh, of the experience that we just had and finally when we when we got back about, about to the house, I remember thinking, you know what? No kid in my, in my town is going to be sleeping on the floor. That was our mission or our motto, and which turned into our mission statement. And I knew right then I'm going to do whatever I can. And so we kind of adopted this as a family Christmas project. You know, at that time we, the, you know, we went to our, went to Lowe's, which is one of our number one sponsors and, and said, Hey, I've got, this is how much money I've got. What can I do? And once we told them what we did, Lowe's was great. They said, you know, 50% off anything you buy. So we were able to do 22 beds that holiday. It was, it was my Christmas fun, right? Uh, my kids didn't get near as many presents, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun delivering these, these beds to these kids. Still, no idea how big this problem was. And as the more we asked or the more we, we showed what we were doing, the more applications, the more interest um, from the community to come in and help solve this problem. And I remember going, There's something here. You know, there's something here. And I mean, building beds, I never thought of that before. Funny story. I remember my wife at the time said, Well, you gotta call it this, you gotta call it something, right? You know, and I said, Well, how about beds for babes? That sounds good. (laughs) I tell everybody, it's not a it's not a good Google search. (laughs) Yeah, we'll cancel that. Yeah, that went about as far as that. that's a close call, but Dodged a bullet there, you know. She said, uh, "Well, what about sleep in heavenly peace?" You know, and it was just perfect. It was one of those moments where it's exactly what we wanted to say and what did we wanted to leave. And it had a little bit of Christmas time because it was Christmas time, hooked to it. And uh, and so that's what we called it, you know. And and it quickly evolved. Obviously, the acronym SHP is is now three letters that are very dear to me um, and many other people. And so we we started building beds, and each year it was just a Christmas project. Keep in mind, my buddy Jordan that came down, he started, started wanting to do up in Boise, which was about two hours away. So you know one, one day in December, I'd build down here. The next weekend, I'd go up and build up there, and we'd deliver all the beds. It was just awesome. But what was interesting is, the, again, the more we built and the more we showed people, the more applications and the more volunteers came in. Pretty soon, more sponsors wanted to come in, and we weren't a nonprofit. We were just a Christmas project. So we thought, well, wow. how, and how many years was this from the first bed? So 2012 was the first bed and 2012 and 2013 were the two years all the way through 13, we were starting to get these big, these big opportunities, at least monetary opportunities uh, because these companies wanted to support
1: us. So we became a nonprofit the end of 2014. So it was two years from when you made your first bed to becoming a proper not-for-profit. About two about two and a half years. Yep. Yeah. And and so now we were a nonprofit,
0: which just really meant nothing more than um, you know we could take these donations from people that needed the tax write off, which is great, you know. And but still, we had no concept. I had no idea how big the problem was, nor had any aspirations of being some big, huge nonprofit. Right. I still had a full time job, and and uh, and we were still you know living life. So being in two thousand fifteen. We just got so many more applications and volunteers that we decided, okay, maybe this is a little bit more than just a Christmas project, right? And I remember um, we were sitting in a restaurant, Jordan and I were sitting in a restaurant. We were talking about this coming bill that we had coming up and the strangest thing happened. Um, this is when this, I would tell people, this is when I knew that there was a lot more and this was a lot bigger than just us and our two little towns. But we were talking about this bill and helping kids and how amazing it was. And this lady came up next to us from, I don't know where she came from, but she says, I'm sorry, but I just listened to your whole conversation. Here's all the money in my wallet. I mean, total stranger. And I, I just was like, you, you gotta be kidding me. Like it it just touched her that much. And, and that's, I guess that was what we were realizing. Not only did it change our hearts, but it was changing the hearts of so many people. when they heard about, especially a problem they've never heard about. So we started doing a lot more builds during the, during the year instead of just on Christmas time. So that 2015, we did 15 builds in one year instead of just one. So we're getting more beds. We're learning how to build them better. We're, we're getting more connected and more more uh, known, if you will, which uh, it was hard to keep up with all the applications. Pretty soon that we were just getting way more applications than we were able to build fast enough because we both had full-time jobs. And then in about 2017, we had other friends that lived in other states had been watching this for several years now, wanting to do the same thing in their own hometown. So we started putting on what we call chapters of this nonprofit and and kind of organized a way to bring them on as chapters and teach them what we're doing and helping get you know the system down. And so in the end of 2017, we had nine chapters scattered across the country. Most of were family or friends. Some of them were people that had just kind of Googled how to build a bed and there we were and we taught them how to do it. And, (laughs) you know, we were building beds, but it was a real critical time for me because at that time we were now traveling to other states and helping other people out. And I was using all of my vacation time to do this. And my employer at the time, keep in mind, I'm I'm, I'm working. I'm going to be buying this business with a partner, and and a lot of my time, especially brain power, was dedicated to SHP and not the organization. And I had to make a choice. You know, uh, I couldn't do both. And although the choice was already made, there was no question I was going to keep going with Sleep and Emily Peace. It just it just filled my soul more than anything. It was still a hard choice, but that's what we ended up doing. So I I quit my job in November of 2017, and went all in. With, with this, this charity <laughs> thing that we've been going and doing for, you know, for seven, six, seven years. And uh, at that time, we had just been videoed by a Facebook watch series called Returning the Favor, whose host is Mike Rowe, you know, Dirty Jobs, Mike Rowe guy. And we knew that was going to be pretty big. Uh, although it didn't bring a lot of donations in, what it did do is pretty much announce to the country what we're doing and how we want other people to to do this. And from then we got like 5,000 new chapter requests. It was crazy. Now <laughs> we didn't we didn't put all those on, but we knew it was coming and we put together a pretty quick training program which is far better now than it's ever been and and we started training chapters. So now now we have we have trained 354 chapter presidents and we're in four countries.
1: And we build, our goal this year is just over 50,000 beds for the year. So I got a question that through that whole story was sticking to my mind, why you? Wow. And and what I mean by that is I walk out my door, I walk 10 feet, I'm gonna see poverty. We have so much in North America, but on the flip side, there is such intense disparity and such intense poverty, it's very easy in North America to turn a blind eye. Very easy. So why did you step into the breach? Never been asked that question. The why? That's first of all, I um,
0: I, I I always liked service. I always I always tell people, look, if you want true joy, just stop looking at yourself. Go help someone out. You know. Uh, your your problems don't go away; they just don't seem near as bad, right? Um, and I think that's that's one of the big joys that come from service perspective on on your own problems. And for me, I think it was just a perfect storm. You know, I I go back, and it's really difficult to explain unless maybe you've been through a faith crisis, especially when you you just don't. You grew up one way for thirty five years, and I was a missionary, and I was I was all in. I just didn't feel it. Like I was in the right place, I just didn't feel like I uh, I was in the in the path that I should be in. Uh, not that that path was a bad one. I just didn't feel like it was full for me, and I'd been feeling like that for a while. And then all of a sudden, here's this service project. And keep in mind, I did a lot with the Boy Scouts. We built mm-hmm. wheelchair ramps and and you know mowed lawns, and we did all sorts of other service projects that were great and they were fun. But it was something about building a bed, something about seeing those kids' joy. And then when I saw delivering a bed to a child that's never had one, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that when you hear about it and maybe even see it on a video or something like that, it's touching. But to be there, the spirit, the emotions that you feel when, when you're a part of that, it instantly changed me. And so why me? It could have been anybody. It can be anybody. That's the message i like to share. I did a TED Talk about passion and purpose. And it was really telling people or encouraging people, just act on your tiny moments. You know, we all have these moments where it's you walk by, you know, I don't know, your neighbor's trash cans tipped over. I should go do that. I should go pick that up. Just take the tiny moments to do that. Now, maybe nothing comes of it. Maybe nobody sees it, you know. but You just never know. And you don't do it for anything other than you just want to help people because that's the feeling that really drives you. That's the passion that keeps you going. And I think when people lose that passion, um, and I've seen it even within SHP, you know, we've had chapter presidents that were, I mean, they die for SHP and all of a sudden they're not part of SHP anymore. I think they lose their passion and their focus, um, becomes something different. So you have to kind of be careful with that. But for me, it was just a perfect storm. That was a long answer to that question, but, but it. I'm certainly glad. Uh, I'm certainly glad. I
1: guess it was me. <laughs> yeah. Well, the why is important because everybody can do it, but not everyone does do it. And I understand. I don't. I don't help every person I see. There's a big difference between recognizing you can make a difference and then putting yourself out there and actually doing it. I think part of it is also when you get into helping others, especially people who are living in very difficult situations, recognizing the depth of the problem and having to bring that into your, into your reality. So with that, you'd mentioned before, you know, you're familiar with, uh, you know, homeliness homelessness and the challenges of, of people who are living in poverty. But what do you, what do you now know about poverty and homelessness that you had not known before you went down this path?
0: Very very simple question, that it can happen to anybody. Granted, we just we just help one small portion, which is beds for kids, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't always classify someone as being in poverty. Mm -hmm. But we have seen situations where mom and dad have great jobs, they live in a nice house, it burns to the ground. Dad loses their job, they have to move. There's a death. There's you know some disability, an accident. Life can change on a dime, and what what this person was one of those guys, or one of those families that love to help other people are now the ones that need help. And so to see, to see those situations be created and be involved with the side of the coin where they're in need, right? And realizing that can happen to anybody, I have learned and have appreciated and feel like i have far less judgmental of those people that live in those situations you know, too many times do we walk in and, you know, you you see someone, well, you know, he's a he's a bum on the street or he's a, he's in poverty because of his own choices. Right. And 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 there's some truth to that. Right. But behind those choices, there's always other reasons. A lot of times those choices, the person that was making those choices really didn't have very good choices to to start out with. Right. And that's what we hope to provide these kids is at least a little bit of a leg up you know, whether it's not just a good night's sleep, we know we provide more than just a good night's sleep, the confidence they have, the the moods and the, the ability to learn more because they have a good night's sleep. We hope that gives them a leg up. So when they are faced with these difficult situations, it's a much, there's much better options, you know? And so, yeah, the, I think I've learned to appreciate and be less judgmental of the situations that people are in because you just don't know their story, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I juxtapose it to, um, are you familiar with uh, low barrier housing or zero zero barrier housing? I'm not. Huh? Uh, I live in Vancouver and there's a um, massive um, crisis about homes. Like the cost of a home has gone far beyond what just most people can afford. But also just renting apartments, throw COVID in there. Although we actually have quite good uh, mental health and addiction services, we don't have enough resources. The resources we have are excellent, but we don't have enough to serve the population. So there's a, a ton of homelessness, um, both from addiction, mental health, you know, just uh, poverty. Low barrier housing is about the idea of like, most housing has a, like a lot of high barriers. Like, you know, it's like, you gotta have rent, you gotta have social uh, insurance card, you gotta have a, an address, you have to have a job, you have to have all these things. Low barrier housing would be basically it's like we're going to remove as many barriers as we can, because the foundational idea is for people to build the kind of lives that they optimally want to have and not how I think they should have it, but the kind of life they want to have it. So it's not like a judgment of society. You need to have this kind of house or life. But if people want to build the life that they want to have, one of the key foundations they need to have is a home somewhere they can lay their head at night. That's low barrier housing. Zero barrier housing is like housing that's provided. For example, if someone was involved in sex work, they could have Johns come up to their room. You could be not sober and living in a house like that. There's a a clear agreement that essentially we are not going to come from a place of judgment that will be preventing you from having a home. Because for example, someone who's like street entrenched and living on the street, for us to say, you can live here as long as you don't do this thing that you've taken on as a lifestyle because you already live in the street, and we decide that you're not allowed to do that if you live here, that's a barrier. So zero barrier housing would be like, whatever you're doing essentially, up to and including a certain point, you can live here. And I think low barrier and zero barrier housing is some of the bravest, hardest work that people can do because you see a lot of stuff uh, involved in that. And I would say this, I would juxtapose to that because like being focused on, su- on supporting Kids' wellness is wonderful. And of course it's so it sounds wonderful, it is wonderful. But also there's a lot of immerse, emotional labor involved in that because you got to see kids who are in very vulnerable situations.
0: We tell everybody well, chapter presence when <clears throat> when they come to training, we said, look, there's there's two major problems <laughs> being a part of SHP and being a chapter present. Number one, it's extremely addictive. <laughs> it's so much fun, it's so Fulfilling. I've had a lot of people that have dedicated their lives, you know, in other nonprofits. You know, uh, uh, whether it's soup kitchens or building homes or whatnot, they just love it. They just love to serve. Many of them, and they've come up to me and said, "This project is the most fulfilling I've ever been a part of." Um, and we hear that a lot. And we actually train chapter presidents. Look, you still have a life. You still have families. You got work. Possibly, you know, you you, you can't do this twenty four seven. It's not healthy for you. So. So make sure you have a balanced life. And the second hardest thing, which probably actually even more harder than the first one is sitting in bed and these chapter presidents receive the applications that are within their boundaries and reading these applications and these, the stories of what these kids are living in and the conditions. And you're in your nice, comfortable bed with your storage unit full of 50 beds and you just can't deliver them fast enough or you're deciding whether okay i've got a fam i've got one one bed here i've got a family that's got you know three kids that are about to go into foster care if they don't have a bed or i got a family over here that's got three kids whose parents just died and they're living with grandma and they're they're on dirt floors i mean those are those are the situations that some of these poor chapter presents have to decide which one to do it's extremely emotional and we've actually had some volunteers go on a delivery come back and say I'm sorry, I I can't deliver beds, to kids. I'll build them, but I can't deliver them. It's too overwhelming, and and it is, you know, it it, it can be anyways. Um, when you, when you look at, <laughs> when you look at homelessness in the in the in the eyes of a child, it's different. They're in their situations not because of their choices, and that's different from the parent, right? So it's hard to see that. It's like the starfish. You know, there might be thousands and thousands on the beach, but if you pick up one and throw it in the ocean, you made the difference in at least that guy. And and that's what we try to encourage: is you focus so much on the on the big screen um, or the big picture of it, it can be overwhelming. Just focus on what you can do now, um, because that's that's really what's most important. And 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 the reason why we've wanted to expand and and get more chapters all over. Uh, America, uh, all over Canada as well. Our mission statement is no kid sleeps on the floor in our town. It says our town, not my town, not your town. It's our town because we want everybody to be able to stay the same thing. And and it's solved by the community. Yeah, there's, there's some challenges there. There's some emotions that are hard to overcome. And we tell people, look, we don't really care about the parents, the situation, why they're there. I tell people, look, I don't I don't care if the parents got a million dollars in the closet, if they don't want to get their kid off the floor and that kid's sleeping on the floor, then I'll bring them a bed, you know? And I don't know, is that enabling? I don't, I don't care for that argument. I, I just care that, you know, which, whichever way you, you want to draw the picture, the kids on the floor, let's get them a bed if we can, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I think when genuinely trying to help, the desire to place judgment and, and barriers on things. So it's like, well, if not this, then this, you know, like any of these things. It's like, oh, like any kind of puritanical moral moralistic view that you're saying like you have to fit in this little bucket to be able to get get our, our my help or our services. I think it's kind of a ridiculous way of, of going about things. Like going into a scenario of just saying, like, hey, I don't care what the situation is, like we gotta get we gotta get this kid to bed. Great. That's the focus. So so it's, I, I, it's all... uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, please go ahead.
0: I think it's almost laziness or or mm-hmm. procrastination in 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 our part sometimes. Like we talked about earlier, you know, you we walk by problems all the time, and mm-hmm. oh, I, I could go do that, but it really is not going to make that much of a difference. You, you really don't know. You don't know. If anything, just go do it because it's the right thing to do. And I think that's that's missed out on some people. I think some people. If it's not something that's going to be life-changing, then they don't, at least for the person they're doing, or maybe even for themselves, whatever. But if it's not life-changing, ah, then it's probably not worth doing. And you know what? (laughs) Sometimes it's the little things that you think aren't life-changing, aren't a big deal, don't make a big dent,
1: are the most meaningful. Totally. And like going back to the idea about enabling. I think that's such a, like a weak argument. We can wax philosophical. It's like, oh, you know, we might be enabling someone, but it's like, listen, you can stand on that like kind of fake moral high ground if you want, but at the same thing. It's like, if I think a low barrier housing or zero barrier housing, it's like the most, I think the most important thing we can do to people is try and like level the playing field of human experience. We'll try and like, if we live in a society with so much and there are people who are in such challenging positions, why wouldn't you try and level the playing field? don't worry about enabling. Everyone has different life experiences. It's way easier to say that's enabling when you haven't walked in somebody's shoes. I think that like providing someone with a home with no judgments or a bed with no judgments on their family, that's uh, that's one of the most important things you can do from a starting place of leveling the field of that human experience. And it's just like intellectual laziness for me to be in that kind of space. I think it's a harder flex to be like, I have to leave my judgments behind and really stay on mission here of helping people.
0: Absolutely. And as chapter presents have come back or give me a call or whatnot, say, you know what? I just went on this delivery and ugh, I walked in. The house was bigger than mine. They had a big screen, bigger than the TV I have. I mean, you could tell where this conversation's going, right? And I, I'd say, look, don't go into that house caring what the parents have. Go into that house thinking what the kid has, mm-hmm. you know, and undoubtedly, or inevitably, I'll get a call back saying, you know, thank you for that, because this is where it helps us um, when you look at things through the eyes of a child. And that's your concern, at least for us, right? Um, getting getting beds to these kids. It almost forces you not to be judgmental. You can't be judgmental because if you did, it would be a really bad, what we call a hard delivery where, I mean, we've walked in with, I'm bringing a bed to their two kids and parents didn't even get off the couch. They're oh, just in the back room, you know. And man, I remember thinking to myself, "Well, gosh dang it, you lazy bones! Why don't you come help me? I'm bringing a bed for your kid." But you know, and you just got to push those thoughts out and remember, I'm not here for the for the parent. I'm here for the child. And it, it does help quite a bit with that prejudgment that you might have on the family. And and I think for me, over time, it's just it's just knocked off those those rough edges. And now. I mean, I'll I'll walk in here to North Carolina. I'll walk into a really really rough trailer park, um, and listen to this this woman's story of of her, her her addictions, her relationships that she's been with, and cry on her shoulder with her because I'm 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 there for the kids, and these kids need a good mom. These kids need a good dad. They need to have a parent that they uh, that support them and. of the time, the parent is there for the kid. You you really are able to leave your judgments at the door
1: when you start focusing on what what we're there for. Uh, And that, it's a human desire to judge. Like, I'm not saying I'm not gonna judge. Like, you know, I'm I'm like as snarky as the next person, maybe like a higher level. But like, when it comes to like, when it comes to helping other people, helping other people should be about other people. Should be about, like you said, think about what the kid doesn't have rather than what the parents have. Or... Think about what this person really needs. If we allow our judgments to get in there, it's this kind of weird, sneaky human ego thing where we start making it about us. Well, I don't feel good about this, so this isn't a good thing. Where it's like, well, wait a second, that's not the mission. Um, let's let's go back to something you said earlier, though. I'm um, real curious about. Uh, you talked a bit about how you've like lost chapter presidents or people have like moved in and out of the organization because um, they lose their passion for it or they get burnt out. And you know, a thing that is, I think, really well known in not-for-profits and any kind of like um, community-based work where you're really like helping others is that idea of getting burnt out, you know, like getting kind of compassion fatigue or not like not being able to look something that's serious in the eye and not flinch like that. And that sometimes just the desire of being like, "I I just want to focus on my own life and not worry about other people. How do you how do you keep the greater organization focused on taking care of the people that that are volunteering their time and making sure that they're they're getting the support they can so they can really show up and do the best they can for the community?
0: Great question. And you know, it's very easy for us to answer that mainly because we have seen that as SHP's grown. Remember in 2017, 2018, um, when the when the whole micro episode aired and we started getting all these new applications for new chapters coming in. Man, we were just excited to get. I mean, if you fogged a mirror up, you almost became a chapter present. We did very, you know, very little vetting. You know, we you want to be a chapter, great, you know, and come to come to Twin Falls and we'll teach you and then we send them home and we didn't have near the support from let's call it our chapter support center, our headquarters, if you will, that we do now. But you know, if you were a chapter, or a person that wanted to, you come in, you start chapter. You know, you're back home, and it's interesting. We look at we look at the numbers now of 354 chapter presence that we've trained. There's really only about 290 active. So you look at that 60 or so that we've lost. Well over half a good probably 45 of those 60 were all in that 2018 early 2019 class and what we learned and when we learned this very quickly not too far past that um we learned that now to become a chapter president we, we won't take anybody that does it alone we require that you have to have a core team and that is no question the number one success of a chapter in SHP is a solid core team, you know, because you don't have the burnout. You know, what's the saying? Many hands make light work, right? You can spread that that wealth out, and the chapter presence that we have lost a good portion of them. It wasn't so much burnout. Uh, I think it, some of it was, but a lot of it is they just wanted. They're, they're so passionate about it that they just want to control it, and they it's hard to accept someone else's failures, you give them a job and they fail at it or, or maybe not fail at it, but didn't do it exactly how you wanted to do it. You pull it back. Well, now you just pull that opportunity for that person to feel passionate, just like you do. And those chapter prisons that do that ultimately either fail or, or, or quit because they're, they're overwhelmed or they just get too frustrated. And and really, (laughs) you know, we don't make a perfect bed. It's there's, flaws on it left and right holes don't line up all the time they are sound solid bed but we don't make fine furniture and and we like that because you know what it's all about the the uniqueness of of volunteers people that may have never touched a screw or a drill and put this bed together and it's it's perfect in its imperfections and i think we've got we got people out there that they can be perfect in their imperfections. And, um, and we got to allow them to do it, allow them to grow. Um, and, and so, you know, the culture that we've had here at SHP, and we wanted it from the beginning is a family, you know, we wanted people to feel like you're, you're, this is more than just although a nonprofit and a for profit, really, the only difference is you don't pay taxes, but we know the difference is the feeling that these pu- people are coming into our organization with, and we want them to have that family feeling. So we, we call it the SHP family. We're having our, our first uh, national convention. It's called the family reunion for crying out loud. So um, we feel like it's important to to recognize, look, you can't do it yourself. You got a team, you got a family behind you
1: and you need to go find more family locally to, to help you grow. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. And I love that idea that, you know, you don't necessarily need to be like skilled with tools or have any experience with them, because that's like the ultimate easy way to get into into helping. Is like, oh, you you don't have to have any skills, just show up. You show up, we'll help you out. You'll figure it out. We'll go along. So it's like the instant, almost instantly deployable, because you have a you have like essentially a product that you, you're you're uh, providing. You have a system of how it's done, and it requires no skill to do it. We'll teach you the skills that's like a recipe for success in terms of helping people. I want to ask you two questions though, uh, that relate to what you're just saying. Um, the first is culture. So, you know, when people talk to me about culture, I always kind of laugh. It's like when people talk to me about strategy, you know, like, and the worst is when people say culture eats strategy for breakfast. Cause I just want to jump out a window. Like, please stop saying that. <laughs> Cause like strategy is this term that people word that people use all the time. And it's like, you get a sense that they've said something profound, but like eight times out of 10, it's like they're just saying a word that sounds good, but they don't really know what they're, what, it means a whole bunch of stuff to everyone in the room and then nothing at the same time. Culture's another one when people talk about like, our culture, the culture. If you ask like three or four questions, maybe even two, suddenly a person's like, I-, I don't know what I'm talking about. Culture is like a hard, It's a. it's an important discussion and it's important to like, culture happens, whether or not you do something or not. Like culture is always gonna happen, right? And it's, so it's good to be intentional about culture, but what are you talking about when you talk about culture? So, and, and then what are you gonna do about it? So I know this organization has grown very much organically for a long time, and, and then now it's, you're more intentional about its growth but how are you intentional about the culture? Cause you have many, many chapters. You're now a, you're not just a national organization, you're an international organization. So how do you, how have you defined the culture? And then how do you help replicate that culture in different places?
0: It's, it's very difficult, especially even in the States, you have the North, you have the South, you've got the East. These are all different, even different cultures within the, our country here of, views and, and and SHP itself you know we have very very religious people that are part of sleeping and Heavenly peace and some that aren't at all to to bring these different cultures together even different religions different political views to bring th- those types of people and their views together um I, I i go back to say that the the most important thing we want we we do um or we tried try to do anyways is maintain the the pureness of our mission. Uh, let me give you an example. So we've had we've had a few chapter presidents, very religious, have come into the organization because they believe God sent them, and and I one hundred percent believe that 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 they they have that passion that that their higher power gave them, and so they want to share that with others. So we've had chapters write scriptures on 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 the slats of the bed, or or have delivered Bibles, or you know pictures of. Of whoever you know the people they believe in, and and we've had to shut that down, <laughs> and and it to to the pain of some. However, because we have the culture of helping children and the pureness of that is the simple. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what political views are. We're just here to help kids. I think that's really helped us stay on course of keeping a a a focus of our mission, which is to help kids with beds. Um, and, and now we're able to as we bring people in, we always talk about as, as a family, this is what we do. It's really interesting, we talk about this today, because, um, you know, just recently, we've put on more board members. Um, and some board members have never touched a bed or never built a bed or deliver bed at, at all. They've been in other nonprofits, and they've seen how the other nonprofits work. And, and being i was the executive director to work with the board and these board members to help them understand okay you've been with shp for 6 months i know you came from another nonprofit but before you make some of these these decisions please try to understand the culture that we have and we talk about this in our leadership meetings almost every every time of how important and how valuable our culture really is cuz it is centered around helping people it's centered around uh, focusing on the kids. And the minute we walk away from that, and and, and we've even had some chapter presidents leave because they gravitate away from the culture. Um, and really culture, uh, what I mean by that is is the the focus of the mission. They gravitate away from that and and ultimately they leave. You know, um, when I was, I was a CNN hero back in 2018 and being a CNN hero, there was 10 of us we got to go to California to be a part of uh, Alchemy Annenberg, something like that, uh, is nonprofit training, world-class nonprofit training. This is back, I mean, still, I didn't know what a nonprofit had to run one, but, you know, so training, I'd soak up any training we we, we could get. But one thing that really stood out um, amongst all the great things I learned there was what's called Mission Creep. They showed a scale where a nonprofit will start from an idea, it'll grow, it'll gain momentum, start being more efficient. And then they start bringing more people in. And as they bring more people in, that brings in more ideas. And then they start accepting doing these other ideas. And then the nonprofit either stagnates or it falls apart. And the reason why is because of mission creep, they start losing focus of the original reason why they're there. And I think, I think, That's part of culture, right? Is our culture is helping kids? Our culture is not providing them desks or bringing air conditioning units in them or or whatnot. It's this, and to keep that same focus, it's not easy. It's it's there's sometimes it's very hard. You have to you have to let people go, or you have to you have to say you have to say no. But to keep that culture is really a big thing for us uh, to to make sure that we are we're staying on course, we're staying with our mission, and and protecting. The pureness of, and transparency of what we do.
1: Yeah, I, I love what you just said there. Keeping it super, uh, super simple. So like, even if I if we go to like kind of recovery work, like twelve step work. That's right, you got twelve steps. That's it. And meetings can kind of have different different ways they function. You know, sometimes it's like you're in a circle talking. Sometimes you have a speaker. Like all these different things. But the idea stays the same. But you add human beings into anything, and like groups of human beings, and people get excited. They want to try new things. Part of why 12-step programming has been so useful and it's so successful with addiction work is because it's like, no, keep it simple, keep it right here. And I love that people get excited and they want to do new things, they want to help, but it's like, listen, if you got a, a formula that works, the best way to do it is keep it as simple as possible, as community-based as possible, as person-to-person as possible, and uh, don't create these really complex, wild systems or overreaches in there. Oh
0: my gosh, if you... If you knew those words uh, out of your mouth, what they mean to us, I got chapter <laughs> presence going to be listening to this right now, just laughing. I have, I've seen your team just laugh, you know, keep in mind. So we build beds and we build them in kind of an assembly line, right? So we have yeah. a strategic way of doing this, a specific way of doing this specific jigs that we use and tools that we use. When you bring other people in, just, just think about all these carpenters right here. And They're amazing engineers are like the worst (laughs) they come in and they they, oh you know what you could build these beds so much faster if you did this and they'd be more accurate this blah 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 and you know uh, and you know they're absolutely right but but they miss the point the point isn't trying to build a most perfect bed it's not what it is and it's not trying to build it the fastest or the most efficient in fact if you look at our process it's quite inefficient um and it's it's designed that way because the inefficiency requires what more hands and more volunteers and that's the key uh, you know if you're a nonprofit out there and you want to grow your nonprofit you need to get as many people involved and hands on quote quote of what you're doing because those are the mouthpieces that share your mission we have when we have build days there're 50 sometimes 500 people that come and build beds and Every time they go away, some of them are like, that was the funnest activity I've ever done. we We do these big uh, events for Lowe's charity events. and and I mean, they've been doing Lowe's charity has been doing, the foundation's been doing events for years. Great, awesome events. Well, they picked us the last two years. We've had people come up and say that was the funnest lowe's event I've ever done. and And that's the key is getting these volunteers hands on, involved, feeling, the the satisfaction and the fulfillment that we've felt, have it, have them feel it too. And that comes from <laughs> that comes from inefficiencies that we have in our in our build process, but we enjoy them. Um and we have ideas, chapters have come up with some really amazing ideas that we've we've had to very kindly and lovingly, the best we way we can say, that's a great idea, but we, we can't use it. It eliminates too many volunteers or 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 a number of different reasons. But um yeah, it's funny you say that because it is a big, it, it was probably the the hardest thing at the very beginning when we started blowing up and all these chapter presents came in and just started throwing ideas left and right. What if we did this? What if we did this? And we still have a little bit of that, but we've had to really come down hard the first couple
1: of years there when we blew up that, hey, uh, yeah, this is the way we do it and we got to stick with it. <laughs> totally. I also want to just pop back to when you're talking about um, people who want to bring in uh, their philosophy, their per- per- personal philosophy, whether it's spiritual or whatever it is, um, I'm not a person of faith, but by all means, see, anyone who has a person of faith, it's totally you know I respect I respect people's right to to uh, express themselves in that way. My mom uh, lives with lives with us, and she's very involved in the church. She's Catholic, you know. Like I was raised Catholic, but I'm just I'm just not spiritual. Um, but going back to, to twelve step. If we think of, and we're talking about that concept of barriers earlier, one of the barriers that have, that keeps a lot of people that maybe are curious about recovery keeps them out of AA or NA or twelve step work is that idea. It's like, oh, it's about God. It's a religious thing. You know, that idea. you used the term earlier, higher power. And your higher power does not have to be like a God or of any kind of any religion. Uh, it could be whatever you feel your higher power is. But even explaining that to someone you can see it's just like removing a barrier from them. Like I want to be, for someone who wants to be sober, it's like, I wanna be sober, but joining this group, I, I have like a a, um, a moral barrier to doing that because I'm not religious, or I feel like I, I'm not religious and I won't be accepted. It's like, oh, it's not about religion, just higher power, higher power is a term. But what's interesting is it started with a religious uh, streak, like the idea of God. And over time, they're like, we want this to help as many people as we can. Let's just repurpose this from being about God to a higher power. That is, to me, a brilliant move. And by the way, anyone listening, I'm not out here trying to sell everyone and getting into 12-step work. It's just like conceptually, it conceptually it connects to what you're saying. Um, keeping it simple doesn't just mean the work that we're doing is simple. It means it's philosophically simple as well. It's intellectually simple. It's just, we are doing this thing to help children have beds, that's it. And keeping politics out of it, keeping like spiritual leanings out of it, any of these things, that's not about excluding people. I, in fact, I feel that's about including as many people and removing barriers to the service. You know, you ask me why me? O- honestly, and I've
0: probably never shared this before. Gosh dang it, dang you! <laughs> <laughs> One of the big reasons why SHP hit hit so hard to me. Was because having having a faith crisis. I, I mean, I was I was in a faith that was pretty strict um, and uh, um, required a lot of time. Um, and when I when you leave that faith or you have doubt of that faith, um, you, you're you're not a bad person, but you you know, like I think, like many other religions, you you're kind of taught that you're you're being misled, right? We've heard that term a lot. And here I was, this. What I thought was a good guy, I serviced the the community as best I could. I was helping Boy Scouts. I was coaching. You know, I I felt like a good guy. So, so why am I going through this? Like, what is this? What is this reason? Now, we can philosophize on reasons all day long, but what I can tell you is, now because of that that faith crisis I went through. I am far more accepting and understanding of other people's beliefs, religious or not. Right? I don't want to use the word tolerant because that's about just more loving towards them. And and had SHP been started by someone that was extremely religious in their faith, it may not have had the same result simply because I tell people I don't I don't care where you came from, or what got you here, the fact that you're here is it. And, and like I said, we have a podcast um, called Humans Helping Humans, because that is the effort, that is really the focus of what I wanted to, people to know and, and want them to know is we're just humans and we're helping other humans. Where that help comes from for you, what inspired you to do that, awesome, good for you. But we're just humans helping humans, and and I, I really look at this faith crisis I I went through back in 2012. Well, for the last for five years before that too, as just almost like a prep for me to be more willing, more accepting, more loving of someone that wasn't my faith, or or maybe even believed completely opposite me, especially with politics, um, completely opposite, you know. And I think that is, for lack of a better term, that's that's one reason why maybe I was selected.
1: <laughs> Hi, man. And thank you for sharing that. Cause I know it's, it can be tough to unpack those things. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that not all, but a lot of greatness comes from those moments of deep uncertainty, deep reflection, deep suffering, deep pain. And I can say, certainly, uh, you know, going through a very difficult time at one, one point in my life, like multiple years of a very, very challenging, uh, time in my life. I'm a better, better man. Better person, a better partner, better father. I've done greater things. Uh, my ideas of what I can do and why I can't and why I should or can do it totally focused now, just different, different, different thing. Having those moments of crisis can unlock something that's within you that might always stay hidden away if you weren't tested.
0: You know, I think challenges pop up in different people's lives um, at, 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 at any given moment. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I'm far from perfect. You know, I've made challenges or i've made um my life a challenge for myself and and made poor choices um and uh and and things come along when they come along and you i think you can make the best of them and some of those choices like some of the people that we we service with beds you know you put yourself in a situation where you can make choices and you're not you're the choices aren't that great you know um but you, you you just you just do your best um You know, sleep in heavenly peace has been a a huge focus in my life for the last eleven years. You know, um, it's both helped a marriage and hurt a marriage. Um, It's it's both helped my relationship with my kids and probably hurt my relationship with my kids. I mean, there's pros and cons all over the place. You just hope that um, doing the right thing. Um, and, and, and building beds for kids. I don't care what you believe or who you are. That's, that's the right thing to do. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, ultimately I think it's going to wash out the, my, my mom always said, you know, cream rises to the top. Sometimes it's in the middle and you need to stir it a little bit, but it eventually rises to the top. So, so I'd like to think you're right. You know, our challenges in life, um, they can either make you or break you, um, if you, you could dwell on dwell on them, which will probably break you, or you can just remember them um, as a as a chance to learn.
1: So, since you opened it up, you know, starting anything. So like, cadence like my business, I started on my own, just me, a notebook, cell phone. You know, my my the dire warnings of my parents ringing in my ears, like don't start your own business. You know, like, uh, and also some good advice from like clients and friends. I know starting that business, it was a huge pull. And not only was it a huge pull, like people around me didn't understand it. It's not that they didn't understand starting your own business. They just don't understand what I do. So it's this like sense of being totally on your own, like just totally on your own, just doing something and kind of doing it. Like you have to put all of your energy into it. And I worked so hard for so many years that it, Limits your relationships. You know, I put less time into my relationships, like my, like my, uh, all all of my different relationships, my family relationships, my friendships, and all that, because I was so focused on making this thing happen. Now, at the end of the day, it's my company, and I live off the company, and it's been worth it. But you know, there's 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 a lot of sacrifice Uh, for you. You started this thing, and you just started it kind of like by mistake. You didn't have any intents of it becoming a thing, but it has required you put yourself all the way out there you leave your career you go all in which has been a joy but i'm certain um, there's been some sacrifices you've had to make so what can you tell us about that any
0: success requires some level of sacrifice and if it didn't come then it's on its way you know um i started in a, a period of my life like i mentioned uh, of of a faith crisis you know and, and and my life was great i mean i i, I was married i had three kids um you know, I had a good job. I was making a good salary. My my retirement was set. I was going to buy this multi million dollar company. You know, I, 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 there wasn't one thing about my life that if you sat there and looked at it, you 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 would think I would complain about it. It was just, it was, um, it was great. And I knew that. And I think for uh, several years, I fought that. I fought this. Why do I feel this way? Why you know? Because um, I have such a great great life. But when when SHP hit and it hit me so hard emotionally and f- the fulfillment, um, I knew that there just wasn't anything else I wanted to. You're talking to a guy that loves to fish, talk to a guy that loves sports. I mean, Saturday college football in America was I love. I mean, we. I'd go to the Boise State games, go Broncos. Um, I'd go to all, you know, I'd go to as many games as I can. But I kid you not, when I delivered that first bed, that I, I couldn't care less about a football game on Saturday. I would much rather be in the shop with my friends building beds or delivering beds than watching a football game. I don't think, I mean, we've watched some football games, but I, I, I haven't watched a college football game at home on Saturday by myself for years. You know, I haven't fished near as much. I used to go three or four times a week. I went, I think, three or four times the last two years. It just is not a satisfying, fulfilling um, feeling like it is now. Now, so those are all great things. Um, but it, you're right. It does that passion and focus that, I, that now has fell on me and, and developed in me. At first, especially at home, you know, my wife was all in it. Um, and it started out very small. But as it grew and grew and grew, and especially when Mike Rowe and that hit, it was taking a lot of my time anyways but that was nothing compared to what it did when when all of this hit and and i knew the importance of it um and not that you know not that it was the reason but uh i i always tell people look sleep in heavenly peace when i started it probably saved my marriage for a while um and then it was part part of it was the reason why it didn't last um and 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 I was married to a great a great woman. She still is amazing amazing person. It's just that 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 focus that that sometimes is required. I I couldn't tell you, Aram, just to be honest, whether it's right or wrong to keep a family together if if it was even going to be able to keep be be together or or not. Um, to I don't know to to maybe go on a hunting trip or, or a fishing trip with your son, rather than taking them to build beds. You know, I don't know. It's, uh, it's hard to look back and think what, what would have been better. Um, You just do the best you can. And all I can do is look back and say, you know what, I've made mistakes, but I also think I've had some good successes and I'm just going to do the best I can. And, you know, building beds where SHP is right now, um, you know, I, I, it, it would, I can't even think about uh, the the scenario where SHP didn't get created. We've we've delivered, uh, or at least built, almost 160 thousand beds. There's that's a lot of kids. Um, that's a lot of kids for anybody uh, to think about, and the, the, it would be horror to think that that uh, I, I that that didn't happen had I not created SHP. So I think the sacrifices are very hard, um, but the rewards um are very good too
1: uh sticking with that idea of i'm gonna make mistakes i know i've made mistakes but i'm just doing the best that i can if we dovetail that into your leadership so again, you didn't intend to start this like huge thing right uh so you've you've had to scale up your leadership chops fast and into very complex situations like that have to do with all sorts of things while also keeping the mission very simple so what are the mistakes you've made as a leader as you've gone along and what have you learned from them?
0: Wow, let me air my dirty laundry, huh? Oh,
1: please.
0: Uh... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <yeah. laughs> Why not? We're, we're close, right? Oh, oh, there's a lot of mistakes, you know, and some of them have been great. You know, in fact, <clears throat> as, as SHP's kind of grown really rapidly the last couple of years, I've had some people, um, a lot of people call, I want to talk about, Hey, I'm starting a nonprofit or my nonprofits just just kind of blah, you know, how, how did you do what you did, you know? And really at first it's like, man, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how it, this grew. Right. Um, I know, I know a bunch of mistakes we made. Right. Um, but I also recognize some of the, some of the successes and, and the, what I call the potholes that were created, the potholes that we saw that we had to overcome has just made us stronger. You know, so I, I think some of the challenges, uh, when I started this, I, I wanted to be with friends, right? I wanted, and that's, and that's how it grew was most of these guys that were either part of leadership or if you want to call them a co-founders or on the board, they were all very close friends, half of them, or most of them were I graduated with. Right. And so I leaned on them quite a bit, which was the best success, smartest thing that I've ever done. And some of the challenges that I have with me is I I, I probably don't appreciate them as much as I should and so and and leaders don't often you know you're so focused on something else um sometimes it's you you don't stop and and share um and bask in the in the glory if you will of of the success that you've had with others and what they've brought to the table i've lost some friends because of that you know um people that were so so hardcore shp and wanted to grow with the organization i just didn't have the i don't know the the bandwidth or the attention to be able to uh, share their successes with mine, and we've lost them. So uh, I'm one of those managers, one of those leaders that, man, I'll hire you, I'll bring you on board, and I'm going to let you run it. I don't, I don't have time to micromanage. I'm a more forward thinker. My my now executive director Jordan Allen, my buddy who delivered that first bed with me, he's more the practical guy. He like brings down to, okay, that's great, but we still got to do this. You know, he's he's one of those guys. There was so much. Activity and so much things going on that as as we bring we brought these people on. I knew that I couldn't I couldn't manage them the way that maybe I should have. I think, however, man, I want people and I tell my chapter presidents give people a job and just let them do it. Let, let them fail. Let them let them work on their imperfections. I had no idea and arguably still have no idea how to run a nonprofit. I know a little bit more than I did yesterday. But, look at where we're at right now. So, if this farm kid from Idaho can can start something that now is international um, and has helped hundreds of thousands of kids, I'm telling you right now anybody can. and um and it takes humility. It takes realizing that, you know what? you're not the smartest guy in the in the room. And quite frankly, you don't want to be. You, you know, your ideas aren't always the best, and you don't want them to be, you know other people come in with and allow other people to come in and feel the passion of, of what you have, because their ideas are going to be great too. So I, I, I don't, I think I've, I've known that, um, it's just more prevalent now as I have allowed as I've allowed that in my management style with SHP, to listen, to realize I'm, I'm not the, the, the genius here, uh, and to allow other people's talents to take over. That's the only reason why SHP has grown to where it's as, or at least, um, the technology and the the success of where we're at has come from the, on the backs of others. And, and that's, that's a big success for, for, for me when I look
1: at my management style, cause I don't think I, it was always that way. All right. So as we're getting close to the close of the interview, I'm going to ask you three questions that are going to be successively more difficult. And the last one's going to be real, real doozy. Now, before we get to that, I wanna give you a space to do any shout outs you want. We're gonna add all of the info on Sleep in Heavenly Peace and all the places where people can look it up. We'll put it in the episode bio. But beyond that, is there anything that you wanna shout out, mention, You know, anything that you wanna bring up at all? Our our main goal when uh, we're when we, when we were on these podcasts or whatnot is really we just wanna let people know, A,
0: the awareness of what child bedlessness really is. Not a real word, but a real problem. It It represents, at least in the States, 3% of the total population. It is a big problem. And, and those are statistics that aren't well put together. Those are ones that we've put together. None of us are st- statisticians, by the way. So it, it is a real big problem. And, and two, I want people to know that they can do something about it. You know, we're the largest bed building charity in the world, and that's not to brag. That's just because there's not very many. And what we knew is if we held on to this idea and this program to be able to build beds to ourselves, then we wouldn't help as many kids. So we just really encourage people out there that if this is something that touches your heart and something that you wanna be a part of, and maybe even dive in a little further and becoming a chapter, we encourage that. You can go to our website and learn how to become a chapter because really it's a local problem. It needs to be solved by the local community and be that person that can solve that problem. I don't care about money right now. I don't care your donations. I really, we're just trying to find those people that, that are touched, um, and can start a chapter.
1: All right. You're ready for your first question. Fire away. Okay. Throughout this whole process, starting this thing, scaling it up, developing it, developing as a leader. What's one thing that you've learned about yourself that you might not have figured out had you not gone down this path. So what's a piece of information, something you now know about who you are as a person. That you wouldn't have figured out otherwise i've learned a lot of um
0: a lot of shortcomings i have um i've mentioned you know i learned that i i probably don't appreciate people like i should Um, and i'm working on that you know um i'm learning the value of humility you know i've been pretty much i've been successful my whole life both in and out of sports, in and out of business, and, and realizing that again, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. My idea that I held on so tightly can be altered by by other smarter, smarter ideas, and that's healthy. And so I've learned I've learned to be a lot more relaxed with that, um, a lot more humble with with uh, those ideas that might contradict or or go against what I originally put together, uh, because it's important that. It's it's not about me. It's not about this this program that I put together. It's about the program that we, as collectively the SHP family, is is working on and solving. And it's it's really about the mission. And so, yeah, I think that's probably probably one of the things I learned the most is I I um I had a lot to grow there. And although I'm not where I want to be, I um I
1: know what I've got to work on. <laughs> All right. So uh, a lot of what you said ties into my second question. Uh, you've built something that is so clearly from from your heart and that you care about, but you're the face of it, right? Right, right. So at some point, you're maybe going to want to retire, but I'll say without like doom saying here, you know, we all have a certain time, amount of time on this earth. How does the organization continue without you?
0: You know, that's it's a great question. And yeah, I, being the being the founder and the face of Sleeping Heavenly Peace has its pros and cons, you know. I'll tell you a story that, that will answer this question. And it was probably the highlight uh, of at least a milestone that I was waiting for. When Sleep and Heavenly Peace blew up in 2018, It's mostly because of the returning the favor episode, the CNN, I was on American Ninja Warrior, it, it all centered around the things that I were, was on, right? The things that they'd heard or podcasts or whatnot. And I remember it was, probably 2020, 2020, maybe 2021. When um, I went to a, our training, I, I've only missed two trainings the whole time. Uh, for the last four years, I went to a training. And um, I went up to a, a what we call an NCR a new chapter request and introduced myself. And the lady looked at me She says, Oh, great. So how are you involved with the sleep and Emily peace? She had no idea who I was. <laughs> and, and I, I honestly, I know this sounds like a line. It's not. It almost brought to tear to my eyes because right then and there, I knew, okay, finally, this isn't about me. This isn't grown because of me. This person isn't here because they were inspired by Luke Mickelson. They were inspired by the mission. And our team, my team, the SHP's family has, has brought SHP to the point where it really is emphasizing the mission and not the man and um and that's where we're at i mean and now there's a number of chapters that have come to training that they may have heard of my name but they don't know who i am they've never seen anything they're there because they want to be for the kids and when i die tomorrow gosh not tomorrow my wife will kill me if she would say that she is. <laughs> Tomorrow is in, uh, you I'm know.
1: sorry, I asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, I need to go to 12 step, I guess. No, um, you know, uh, uh, it's going to be well taken care of. And and we have a, a succession plan for every position in SHP. And 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 that's very comforting to know.
1: Uh, last question. It is a world of need. You know, if I walk out my door, I go, if I go, if walk for five minutes, I'm going to see. Not one person in need, many, many, many people in need. And not only that, the houses that I pass between now and then, I don't know what's going on in those houses, what the situations people are in. There is so much surfaced and unsurfaced suffering, pain, challenges, all of these things, and it can be just too much. You know, It's easier to look at a screen, bury yourself in there. It's easier to binge watch, easier to go to a college football game. And none of these things are bad at all. But it's, it's easy to allow that to desensitize you or to take up too much of your time. So any words of advice for people who are right at the brink, where they've got hope, they've got intention, but they haven't bridged it to action yet? Any words of advice for people who dare to hope that they could make a difference, but they haven't found the ability or the willingness or that energy to get into action?
0: If I can inspire, and that's what I hope to do with these podcasts, that's what I hope... For- to do from the very beginning if i could ever inspire or anybody find inspiration to just do something take that little step that little moment it i think some people focus on like i said the big picture like the 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 the, the, the grandiose idea and it's too monumentous to to take a step i mean if if you had told me you know 12 years ago or 10 11 years ago that hey you need to build 50,000 beds a year How'd of went? okay yeah I'll, I'll go back to fishing <laughs> yeah totally totally right you know but if you're like hey why don't you spend a couple hours you know this week and build a bed for one child let that let that passion that you have start small and it's okay that it starts small and quite frankly it needs to it's beneficial Um, You know, Jordan and I talk a lot that these chapter presents come in and they already have money. They already have tools. They've got, they've got all these luxuries that we just, we look at each other and like, man, that would have been nice. (laughs) (laughs) But, but honestly, it is those small steps at the beginning. And I'm talking small steps at the beginning that have allowed us to not just appreciate what we have today, but, but to be able to endure some of the tough times you know if you're out there and you're you know you 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 have a passion for something i don't care what it is right don't focus in on saving the world just focus in on saving one and that one as it grows will turn into two which will turn into four and i'm telling you right now 11 years later you're helping thousands and thousands of people. We we've had over 300,000 volunteers in the last three years, 300,000 volunteers, 160,000 beds. It it's, it's, these are monumentous numbers um, that, that would have would have shied me away back, back in the day. Um, but it's, it's the small steps. It's the tiny moments that really matter and and, and should matter and should be there. So, you
1: know, focus small, aim small, And then allow it to uh, to grow. Heck yeah! Uh, This has been the coolest conversation, man. So thank you so much for your time.
0: Absolutely no, thank you for having me on.
1: Okay. Any last words before we're closing off? Um,
0: No. Uh, Appreciate your time. Appreciate uh, this conversation. I've been on a lot of these, and uh, this is a memorable one. I promise you. Thanks for for sharing our story, and and I hope that it inspires others to just to help. We're humans helping humans and I hope you find another human to help.
1: All right, everyone. uh, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this. Uh, Get out there, start something, join something, make a difference. My name is Aram Arslanian and this is One Step Beyond. Mike, drop the beat. One step.
0: One.